Welcome to Narrative Live on a Wednesday evening as we are covering day 16 of the truckers' protest happening in Canada. It's kind of stunning how long this has been going on for. And the truth of it is, it's now beginning to infect the rest of the American continent. It certainly, it seems, is going to have an impact on the supply chains, on consumer prices, on inflation across the country and, and across the world, in fact. So for that reason, we're going to have to devote the entire hour tonight talking about what's happening in Canada, but it's, of course, impacting the entire world now. And I'm welcoming uh, tonight Professor uh, Karen Piper, who's uh, from the University of Missouri. She's also uh, an author of four amazing books. So we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a bit. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. And also here, Dave Troy, the brilliant and uh, authoritative disinformation expert that we have had on the show so many times. Dave, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Zev. Thanks for having me. You know, I just, uh, before we got on the air, I was eavesdropping into one of these YouTube channels and I'm trying to rack up the clip for us to hear. But um, two truckers talking oh. to each other, one American and one Canadian, having a, a real conversation about how difficult this is going to be for prices in Canada in particular now. But of course, that affects the supply chain everywhere. Because the borders are now shut down by these truckers, people are not getting supplies in. The cost of trucking is increasing dramatically. That means the supply chain, both north and south, which affects everything from everything, but also specifically cars, which is uh, powers so much of our economy on both sides of the border. It's incredibly worrying what's going on. It's almost a, a bit of economic hostage taking that's taking place. I mean, it's really a, this is not just a protest about truckers and vaccines. It's a, it's an act of economic war almost. Uh, Karen, what do you think of that? I agree. I mean, I, I'm mostly interested in trying to figure out who is behind this, but the truckers will openly say that, you know, they want to cut off the supply. They don't care about the billions of dollars being lost. And in one of the groups, there were people talking about how people don't know what's coming. We've all stocked up on food, but what about everybody else? I feel sorry for them. You know, and I interacted with one of them and I was like, we want to starve everybody. And they're like, well, we need our freedom, you know, so. What freedom? I mean, I don't understand the freedom here because, Dave, do you understand it? What are they really fighting for? Is there is there a freedom mandate that there's striving to achieve? So about a year ago, I started to get a sense that the attack vector for this had shifted from being, you know, the election oriented stuff that we saw with January 6th and really shifting into something much more in the economic realm. Mm -hmm. So I started to document what I was seeing. And it looked as though, you know, with the, I would say the attacks on GameStop were kind of the first or, you know, the, the big rallies around GameStop stock were one of the first clues that I had that something was up with that. And so I started to document what I was seeing. And by March or April, I had kind of a memo put together that basically said that I thought that they were waging an economic attack mm-hmm. that was designed to create economic impact on Joe Biden's watch. I really think that that's what we're seeing here. Uh, you know, I think they've been looking for a way to do this for roughly the last year. Uh, and waiting for kind of the right time to do it. I think it's also being fueled very much by, you know, kind of Putin's fifth column in Canada. Um, You know, a lot of the people that have emerged around this are people that we had been tracking back in 2020 associated with QAnon and the right wing Mm -hmm. in Canada. So you've got people like Ezra Levant and Jordan Peterson and, you know, that whole network that is lit up around this. And they are very much pushing all of this and, and the kind of we're now starting to see the crypto messaging coming into it. And, you know, the cryptocurrency piece was the thing that really set me off about a year ago. You know, from my perspective, this is a coordinated global effort that's tied in with Putin's situation in Ukraine. Now, figuring out how you prove all that and, you know, what's what exactly is going on, you know, that's difficult. But in terms of like looking at the network of actors that's lit up all at once around this, it's pretty clearly, I think, designed to tie NATO countries and knots. You know, there's a um, uh, European component to this that has been uh, floated. You know, they're, they were supposed to try to organize rallies in um, all the European capitals on Monday. That doesn't seem like that really came together based on everything that I've seen. Karen may know something more, but what they really seem to be aiming for, for is for next week uh, in Brussels, which is supposed to on the 14th have a big convergence of truckers and whatnot come to Brussels, which of course is the EU headquarters location mm-hmm. and try to shut that down. And then, you know, we're seeing muttering about February 16th, which would be the Wednesday after that 14th, 
for Washington, D.C. You know, I think that there's some hope in this and that some of this that they're calling for doesn't really seem to be coming together and that, you know, what went down in London, apparently there was supposed to be a big, you know, thing there a couple days ago, apparently like some cars and some, you know, very few people really showed up. You know, I think there are some different geopolitical realities in each of these locations that make doing something like this much more difficult because it really does rely on some level of grassroots support. I uh, I'll borrow the words of Jared Holt, uh, who's another disinformation researcher who described this as top-down astroturfing, mm. where, you know, basically, uh, you know, what you're trying to, or top-down grassroots, you know, it's the idea of trying to get a top-down organizational thing in place that then drives what looks sort of like grassroots activity, but isn't can't really be purely described as grassroots because it's not organically grassroots. It actually has a top-down right. organizational component. So we've seen, you know, grassroots. like these crazy yeah. hacked Facebook pages, you know, Facebook accounts creating <laughs> Facebook pages that are growing very quickly. We don't really know who's in those. We don't really know what that's about. But, uh, you know, there's definitely some momentum around this. It's just a question of what percentage is organic versus what is uh, being uh, coordinated and an astroturf from the top down. And it's, it's certainly not Canadian either. I mean, part of it is Canadian. Of course, there are some Canadians involved in it, but the truckers seem to come from the United States or elsewhere as well. It's not a purely organic Canadian protest, which again indicates, you know, something that's been organized. To your points about what's been happening in other parts of the world, I just read before we got on the air here, there is already a, an anti-vaccine convoy forming in France. There's another concerning convoy on the West Coast of the United States leading into Washington State that's been building. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot of border crossings closed. So, you know, even though some of these efforts have been disrupted, it does seem like many others are continuing. And I do actually want to play you, it'll just be a minute or two of what these truckers were talking to each other. This is just live on YouTube a couple of minutes ago. By the way, before they got started recording this, one of the truckers named Dragon, which sounded like a, a Eastern European kind of name, was talking about how wonderful Fox News was. The more English sounding um, person on the, who was also on, with, there with him was talking about how great RT was as a source of news, mm-hmm. uh, Russian today. So that's- Gotta love RT. Yeah. Gotta love RT. <laughs> and I'm just going to play you a minute of this conversation as they talk to another trucker as they bring him onto their live stream. There's no video, but the audio is worth it. Let's just take a listen to what they have to say. I mean, most of us are, you know, we all vaccinated. Everybody has to get vaccinated, you know, just so that we can get on our daily lives. And, you know, these guys, are they, you know, they, they are promoting the wrong message to the public. You know, I mean, uh, we can't get through the borders like our drivers got, got stuck in the, both of the borders. Now, you mean now? Now. Uh-huh. And what these guys are doing is uh, driving up the prices. Now, now the loads that were like 2000 now it's like four or $5,000. Shit. So now this is going to come into the, you know, like uh, it's going to increase the products for all the consumers. So what these guys are doing is not fair for the regular consumers. They're just creating a ca- chaos. Yeah, it just, I, I, I want to talk to different people. Just, you, you don't hear this. Yeah. You hear the other stuff. You don't hear this. <laughs> no. No, I'm no. surprised. No, no, no. Because wait till like, you know, all these, uh, since the pandemic started, the, sorry, I think I got to go and start, start the truck again. Just once. Since the pandemic started, the prices of the products were not factored into the transportation. The mm-hmm. transportation costs stayed the same since the pandemic. So now what these guys are doing is they're going to drive up the price of everything from uh, the fruits to uh, everything. It's going yeah, to yeah, yeah, really yeah. Already gas goes up like yeah. Crazy. I mean, wait till she uh, to wait till you see this prices get it factored into the products. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It just started like about two weeks now. The prices went up like really crazy, you know, for the transportation. Yeah. It, so it's not yet in a peak. It's no, even worse. No. Like uh, next month, it's going to show up in the in the in the products. Holy smoke! Yeah. What do you think? It's going to double it in the price. I don't know if it's going to double, but our costs have more than uh, like went up like 150 percent. 150 percent since uh, these guys started the uh, protest. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah. So like a 2,000 load right now is we're doing it for five thousand dollars. Yeah. So, and they're crazy about trucks. You know, like they everybody just calling and say they're just saying hold on to the trucks, don't give it to anybody else. The yes, prices yeah, are really yeah, crazy. Yes, it's yes. going up like every day. Oh, is that yeah. good for you? Sorry? Is that good for you? That the price well, right now it's good for us, but, uh, they, you know, like, but, you know, eventually everything has to come down. Of course, it's good for us, but it's not good for the temporary. general public. Yeah, it's yeah. a temporary. No, but I mean, why? I'm a little puzzled here. 
Sorry? Are you willing to take 4000 instead of $2,000? Like, why would anybody want to pay you? The general idea is pay the, the contractor as little as possible. Yes. Agreed? Yes. You cut a hole in the floor of your truck, you ship and piss as you go to Nevada. Right? Yes. You don't stop. And you have to keep your price down yeah. because somebody else has got two holes in their floor. Mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a guy's sleeping in the back ready to take over when you have to have your arrest. So what is what am I driving at? I'm driving at the price has always pushed to the bottom. They want the most for the least, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Why on earth does it make any sense to believe that you're getting paid twice as much now? Because there's shortage of truck drivers. Because it's which? Shortage of truck drivers. Because they shortage can't. of truck drivers? Yes. They're, 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 they're not letting us cross the border. So we get, our drivers are getting stuck on the border. It's all a mess. All it's all a mess. Shortage of truck drivers. Yes. So there are 30 million Americans out of work. Well, they're not all want to drive a truck. And that's the point I really wanted to get to. You know, this guy's arguing, uh, this argument this man is making to the truck drivers really concerned about the prices is 30 million Americans are out of work. That's, that's, the, that's the reason he's justifying this particular truck protest. I mean, to your point, Dave, this is economic warfare. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a, a real sense that people know that this can lead to a lot of disruption, especially if they're blocking the, uh, you know, that border bridge. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a serious channel for, uh, you know, economic activity. And, uh, you know, it's really remains to be seen just how long we can sustain those kinds of blockages. I think also, you know, the fact that we may be entering into some kind of conflict period with Russia. I mean, arguably, we're sort of already in that in terms of hybrid warfare, but something a little bit more intense. Um, you know, this, I think, raises real questions about what the economic impact of that kind of activity might be. Mm -hmm. Just uh, today, I think Ford Motor Company shut down a few Canadian plants. In fact, it reduced production at, at others. And those Canadian plants make cars for Americans and elsewhere in the world. You know, you're talking about the auto industry, which is the key driver of inflation. And to have that production supply chain interrupted is not great for the Biden administration as they're trying to head into an election. And clearly is an element of that. Um, just going back to the European, how big is it in Europe? I've been sort of looking into that and... What I've noticed is that it's very hard to distinguish what's real and what's not real in these groups because there's this huge propaganda push. So they will do things like they've been really hyping that these convoys are all over the place in Europe. But when you look them up, they're not really there. For instance, there was a protest of farmers that was three weeks ago in Andalusia where they had tractors and so they were saying, like, this was happening today and they're joining the protest. And you see this in every country that they find any protest and they say it's part of the trucker convoy. So they want to make that happen. But I'm wondering how successful it will be. It, I mean, it may it may be, though. So it's interesting. This real not real situation is, you know, I, while I was looking at YouTube, there are so many foreign news organizations, I noticed Chinese news, whatever the CNG, whatever they call themselves, Chinese state television are, you know, yeah. publishing art post after post after post on YouTube about the Canadian trucker situation. I mean, surely this is not the most important news in the middle of the Olympics in China. And, you know, there they are posting all these things on YouTube. These other people are talking about how the extensive coverage of all of this is on RT, uh, Russian Today. I mean, you know, the amplification of all of this seems to be on all the channels we've been talking about for years, you know, mm -hmm. on these uh, foreign news outlets, but also using YouTube. I'm sure it's on Facebook. I'm sure it's in all these other places where they're targeting, you know, specific niche audiences and probably giving them a lot of disinformation. In fact, almost certainly. There's this guy named David Freiheit. He goes by Viva Frey. And he's just been going back and forth between Bannon's War Room and RT. Mm -hmm. And he streams all day long in Ottawa the rest of the time. It's stunning. And, you know, I'm, I don't know who this other guy with the Eastern European accent is on, on this uh, particular video that I was uh, eavesdropping on. But I, you know, he doesn't sound like he's, he, I mean, certainly can't be from Canada, but I, he's, he certainly sounds like he might be influenced elsewhere by his activities and the way he's approaching this certainly sounds like he's very pro sort of non-Canadian interests. Let me put it that way. Dave, you've been 
you know, at the forefront of all of this for, for so long. And the Biden administration is for sure interested in understanding what is going on. Do you think they have an understanding of how critical this is to the elections coming up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not only critical for the elections, it's critical for what the fate of the country and the world is. I don't know if, you know, just how detailed of an understanding they've really developed. I do see some signs of hope in the last week or so. Uh, you know, there was a announcement out of the White House that Joe Biden was considering doing an executive order around cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. for national security reasons, which I thought was really interesting signaling because it signals that this isn't just about, you know, sort of financial management or, you know, uh, securities concerns. This is like a, a serious national security matter. So I think that indicates some level of awareness. You know, the thing that really got me kind of thinking about a lot of this, you know, beyond, you know, as I said, about a year ago, I sort of had the sense that they were moving in this general direction of doing economic disruption. But the thing that freaked me out a lot was around November 20th, Michael Flynn put out a video saying that there was going to be a controlled economic collapse. Mm. Okay. And then I started listening, you know, to what Steve Bannon was saying on War Room. Yeah, you should look that up. Um, Right around November 19th or 20th, he says there's going to be a controlled economic collapse that was going to be, quote, engineered by the Democrats. And of course, why would they do that? Uh, The reason that he cited was was so that there wouldn't be any more elections and the Democrats could take control of the country. But of course, that sounds like projection. So I believe that they were planning a controlled economic collapse of some kind. And the thing that, that was worrisome at that moment was that the debt ceiling increase needed to happen by like December 4th. Right. And then it got pushed back to like the 15th. You know, had they not done that, that would have created a controlled financial collapse because it would have blown up the dollar effectively. Um, It looks like Putin was moving stuff into place in November and, you know, he was ready to start, uh, you know, potentially making an invasion as soon as December. But it looks like that timeline slipped, you know, and got pushed back until around now. So. I was basically expecting something like this, you know, back in December, but then all of a sudden at the end of the last month, end of January, this trucker thing came kind of out of nowhere and it was like Canada. And I'm like, wait, what? But then when I saw who was pushing it and who was really involved in it, it was all the the usual cast of, you know, the repertoire company was pushing this. So Mm -hmm. it was Ezra Levant and Steve Bannon and Michael Flynn and, you know, Elon Musk and everybody. So, you know, that freaked me out quite a bit because it was that network of people pushing it. And uh, I think this is their play. And I think that the coordination around crypto is very much part of it. And, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, Putin has been talking about making his moves around February 20th. That seems to be what most analysts think might happen if he's going to do it soon. But then there's other analysis coming out, like the New York Times had a piece this morning that Putin may adopt a very long timetable. I like, I like to call this long haul Putin. <laughs> you know, nobody knows what the effects of long Putin really are. You know, so um, terrifying. You know, really. I think yeah, exactly. You know, we could be facing him just kind of sitting there and like preparing to go into war for the entire year. Yeah, straight into the elections. And sure. what we found with Putin threatening to do that is that by putting things into kind of this liminal state of being both at war and not at war, he can sort of create a lot of warping of reality within Mm -hmm. Europe, where people are willing to sort of take sides and shift and move around and do things. And that, I think, is highly strategically advantageous to him. So I think there is some value for him to prolong this kind of state of ambiguity for as long as possible. On the other hand, he has troops sitting there on the ground that are, you know, uh, needing to be paid and fed and have their morale kept up and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, the, the mud is going to melt soon. So mm. what's the plan? You know, what I, is I really, the plan? Uh, They're not going to go to war then, are they? They're not going to go in the middle of... Not after the, the mud is melted. Is, no, so yeah, I think if, they, if they are going to go to war, it's going to be, you know, around February 20th or 21st. Mm. But if they're not, you know, maybe they'll wait around for a long time and who knows, yeah, you know. Maybe he doesn't really want to go to war after all anyhow. Um, I don't want you to leave the crypto piece just like that because I think it is so critical. Um, and you've been doing so much at highlighting how important it is that we start taking a real look at crypto and banning it because it's not helping anybody. It's certainly not helping the American economy and it's adding a unidentifiable risk, which is large and, you know, could be very devastating to the economy. 
Not to mention, it seems to be playing right into the hands of people who are generally interested in crime or affecting the American system. So talk a little bit more about why crypto is so dangerous. You know, it boils down to being a kind of private money system. And if you look at the history of money in the United States, one of the most prominent conflicts has been between the gold standard, which basically says that gold is money and that people can hold it privately and that sort of thing, or, you know, working within the context of the Federal Reserve System and fiat currency. And uh, there's been a lot of conflict about this over the course of the decades, particularly, you know, starting in the beginning of the 20th century with the, even the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913 at, the, at Jekyll Island. You know, a lot of people were up in arms about that. You know, we uh, have had sort of on and off episodes with gold in between. And, uh, you know, in 1933, this kind of reached a bit of a fever pitch when Roosevelt needed to pay for the New Deal. And he went off the gold standard, went on to, you know, strictly a fiat system. Uh, and there was still, well, later there would be the Bretton Woods system that would allow for gold as an international settlement system between mm -hmm. countries. But effectively, you know, we went off the gold standard in 1933 and then Nixon really killed the Bretton Woods system in 1971. So there's been this tension that like our money isn't really real and that it's being controlled by the Jews and all of that, you know, that's driven a great deal of the animus within American politics. Mm -hmm. And of course was also driving a lot of the animus around World War II as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a recurrent problem in politics and history uh, throughout the 20th and now in the 21st century. You know, the gold has now effectively been replaced by Bitcoin in particular, because the key feature of Bitcoin that many people don't know is that it's limited, it's scarce. So there mm -hmm. can only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. And you can slice and dice them and divide them up a million different ways amongst whoever wants to hold it. But, you know, there can only ever be 21 million. So people that are getting in now stand a chance to become much more wealthy than people that get in later. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why many people are sort of trying to push getting in now because you can be wealthier than everybody yeah. else, which is not fair. It's not reasonable. And, you know, the idea that, like, this is being shoved down everybody's throats in a democratic country is just frankly, anti-democratic and leans towards fascism and in fact, taps into the very deep fascist traditions that were trying to adopt the gold standard in 1934, mm -hmm. you know? It's a Ponzi so scheme, really, when you think stuff. about it. It, a, it, it is, a, and it's you, also this kind of sound money gold thing, you yeah. know, so it's both. And yeah. so right now we have people, you know, devoting a tremendous amount of time, talent, and energy and money to mm -hmm. this unsustainable really unwanted scheme that is in direct zero-sum conflict with our country's national security and sovereignty. Yeah. So we can either nip this in the bud now and try to deal with it, which will be messy, or we can wait till later when it becomes bloody. Yeah. Those are our choices, messy or bloody. Pick one. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, it seems like it should be a regulation of Bitcoin, definitely, and they've been talking about that for a long time. They should have done that ages ago. I mean, because I think of like Mike Cernovich back in 2015, but was becoming a Bitcoin millionaire, you know, and then he's able yep. to fuel this whole alt-right Trump campaign that's not really a campaign and that kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. but the problem with banning it is I just think like, how would you even do that since there are so many Bitcoin billionaires now? Well, the way to do it, honestly, if you want to just a really easy mechanical way of doing it is to either prohibit or highly tax transactions from dollars into Bitcoin or, or other crypto tokens. Mm -hmm. So basically what that would do is it would cut off the flow into the Ponzi, which would collapse the price and therefore render the value much, much, much less. And that would be sufficient to sort of deflect interest from it, which in turn would drive the price down lower. And you'd end up with this sort of virtuous cycle of deflation within the asset that would ultimately drain it of any real value. So that's kind of the way this. to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so China's, China's banned it, of course. China's banned Bitcoin. Russia is on the verge, maybe, of bad of Well, Russia announced something new today, actually, mm -hmm. that was kind of interesting. They said that they weren't going to fully ban it. They said it would be okay to use as currency, but with a very long list of asterisks for transaction values under certain amounts, you know, mm -hmm. in certain contexts. Like, it's it's a very long list of uh, asterisks, so we, we can maybe look that up and share with okay. uh, viewers. But, you know, that was just today, and I haven't had a chance to fully digest that. But I think that what we should be thinking about with that is that Putin 
and possibly G intend this to be used as an economic weapon against the United States. And they're using our openness and relative cluelessness about this against us, you know, as, as you would, I mean, it's, you know, the classic judo move that Putin would do where, you know, they use our internal divisions and weakness against us. And, uh, you know, we're going to sit here and flail around while, Various kinds of black swan events kick off. Mike Flynn's been talking about, quote, black swan events, of course, which is the the lab, you know, uh, unpredictable event kind of thing that's going to trigger some kind of crazy outcome. So as these potential black swan events happen, what will happen to the price of crypto? If it goes up, that will drive interest in crypto as a safe haven asset. Um, you know, so far, people are sort of seeming to treat crypto as a kind of a risky asset because it's been correlated with high growth, uh, risky tech stocks in the last few weeks. But, you know, that could change. Uh, you know, if it starts to look like it's more closely correlated with gold, people are going to treat it more like gold. And that may sh- start to shift things in that direction. So mm-hmm. we're in a very precarious place. And I'm not convinced that anybody's really at the helm of it. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, I think I, I sort of know what's going on. I think if I had real intelligence, I would, you know, from like closed source, I might know even more. And I'm not convinced anybody really is doing anything about this. Or maybe and some the, people are complicit. I don't know. Yeah, know. absolutely. The problem with the... Um, with the sites like GoFundMe, you can shut them down, but then there's a million other payment processing mm-hmm. ways that pop up. Like it was Gibson Go or raised six million apparently pretty quickly. And then also Bitcoin, you know, they're yeah. they're getting money. Did you see Bitcoin. their Bitcoin team lead today? That was the new yeah. thing, was that the truckers now have a Bitcoin team lead that was a speaker at the thing today in Canada. And uh, they've oh, got so they many- had Bitcoin signs at the rallies. That's interesting. Well, I mean, you look at look at this. Yeah, no, now they're switching to this Bitcoin yeah. first kind of strategy. How do they have these eight million dollars in Canada? I mean, I know Canadian politics does not spend that kind of money, and protests yeah. don't generate that kind of money. So this money is not arriving at these truckers from Canadian sources. It's coming from outside of the country. Yeah, do we know? Yeah, where it's and me off was like, how did they get $10 million in two weeks? Mm. You know, that's like huge red flag. It doesn't seem legitimate. And then the, the confusion about, and they, I look, so I looked it up and they're coming in in like anonymous 30,000 donations. I mean, a lot of big donations. And then they, they didn't even seem to have a plan for how they're going to distribute the money yet or anything. So it, it all happened really mm. quickly. Last time we saw those yeah. anonymous donations come in in a controversial way was to the Proud Boys from a lot of Chinese nationals. If you remember that during yes. January the sixth, so you know maybe there's a there's a trend there of them using that as a potential lever. Could be. I, yeah, I wish I mean, there was time to find out where the money's coming from. I don't no. know if the FBI I'm will sure into it, but, but it is fairly suspect. I mean, is it coming from the U.S. or is it coming from Russia? You know, is the question, mm. but or other places, China. But it is fairly scary that if they can keep earning, you know, keep finding new ways to find money, it just keeps fueling it and fueling it. And then the date for everybody converging. I mean, it's always changing with these guys, but that's like we're going to converge around sometime in March in Washington, D.C. And that's mm. what scares me, you know, when I think about what. Putin might be planning with Ukraine, could it be somehow timed with that? And how are they going to stop it? You know, Mm. in Canada, they haven't been very successful yet about Mm. stopping it. Now, in Canada, they're a lot nicer in the, than they are in the, the well, they US. They also got taken by surprise a little bit by this. And oh, they were taken by surprise, yeah. yeah. I have a so different I take on that, and I'm going to ask uh, Marcus Colgate an interview that I'm going to play with uh, just a minute from now. I do want to just quickly get to the chat. Uh, a lot of people have been chiming in, and I'm really sorry I haven't got to you because we've got such an interesting conversation, but let me just run through some comments here. Marie says, it was trending on Twitter in France earlier. They're supposed to reach Paris on Saturday. There's not that much coverage, still no... I don't even know what that is. Gilles Jean. I don't know who That's said. the yellow vest, folks. The Gilles okay. Jeans. At the uh, favorite roundabout near me. Thank you, Marie. Thanks for that update. That's really interesting to hear from you. Also here, um, this is from Andrea, who's saying, one of the leaders of the protests was Trump's former health and human services advisor that pushed the CDC to fudge COVID numbers and other COVID misinformation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah, some guy that's interesting. Pete, I think I saw wow. that this morning. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard really? that for, from anybody. That's... Yeah. Uh, not surprising. I mean, you're not surprised at the same kind of players. Chopin's heart is asking, so hybrid warfare then, what is the larger context? Russia, 
you know, Dave, you've, you've indicated Russia, you've also indicated possibly China. Who do you else do you think might be dealing with, you know, who might be responsible here? I mean, you know, I suppose you could point to the long list of usual suspects, you know, Iran or Saudi Arabia or whoever might have angles that they're grinding with this. But I think mostly we're dealing with, you know, Russia and China's interests right at the moment. Right. China always, yeah. Uh, Andrew's saying they are working with flag of Canada conservatives to create discord and division damage our PM and force an early election, Confederate and mm-hmm. Trump 2024 flags. She's saying our conservative leader is wearing a MAGA hat. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, or she really, I think she's not. Is it a she? I don't even know who, who it is. But uh, so this is unusual for Canada. I mean, this is Canada for the most part is perceived as being fairly calm and fairly peaceful and fairly get along with each other. It's not entirely true. Of course, there's a red state and blue state kind of divide in Canada just as much as there is elsewhere. But it's not normal to have protests that are this violent, this aggressive, this uh, in your face in Canada. It just is not part of the norm in Canada. And it seems to be an attempt to really change the way politics is done. And to me, it feels a lot more like this protest is a Canadian January the 6th, if you will. It's more of mm-hmm. that kind of event. And so, you know, I, th- I understand Canadians sort of have this, you know, laissez-faire kind of policy towards these kinds of things and let people protest and what have you. But in this case, you know, if you look at what happened to American discourse from January the 6th onwards, it happened before, of course, but onwards it got much more extreme. I think Canada's facing the same kind of prospects here. And I don't think that's necessarily being understood by Canadians. And it is very important to underline that there is a tremendous amount of push that comes out of these and discord and also uh, polarization that comes out of these events that is going to change Canadian politics if it's, something is not done really urgently to stop it, not to mention the economic fallout uh, from all of this. So can either of you talk a little bit more about what that sort of um, what happened after January the 6th and how it might relate? Well, I just want to say it, it breaks my heart to see this happening in Canada because I don't think of that as a country where that, like you said, that sort of thing happens and the the quickness and the force of it and the ugliness that came out right away, even though Rebel News is trying to make it look like a giant dance party. It's really not. People Mm -hmm. are being harassed and assaulted. And so it leads to a lot of quick tempers. But in relation to how things changed after January 6th, oh, I don't know. Can you answer that, Dave? Sure. Um, Yeah, you know, I guess uh, as far as, you know, American politics, I think things have become certainly more divided, more coarse than they were. Uh, You know, I've also heard comment that, you know, members of Congress and whatnot no longer feel safe at the Capitol, that the environment has become much more like a sort of a battlefield uh, rather Mm. than just being the place of of political discourse. So I spoke with a friend of mine who lives in Ottawa uh, on Saturday, and she said that it was very weird because, you know, as, as we've said, you know, Canadians don't generally go in for this kind of stuff. But what she found was that in her friend circle, there were suddenly a lot of otherwise fairly quiet, fairly timid people that were now taking sides very starkly. Mm. And I think that that's an effect that we've seen in the U.S. as well, is that people who might have been sort of on the fence are now more emboldened to kind of come out on one side or the other. And I think that's exactly what the design of this kind of information operation is. I also think that we need to be thinking about this in terms of, you know, Putin trying to gain strategic advantage in the West. So it's in his benefit to advance these kinds of operations that create this kind of, you know, societal instability that undermine the uh, resolve of politicians so that it makes it more difficult for them to make clear decisions because there will be factions on both sides that are very vocal. Yeah. So I think, you know, all of those things are true. That's why I call the show Gaslighting Canada for partly that reason. I just think, you know, these things seem so isolated when they just happen and you feel like, oh, they'll, they'll control this. They'll make sense of it. But in truth, it's, it's sort of it's an ignition and people start taking sides, as you point out. And once they do that, it just, it just snowballs on both sides. And that's why it's so dangerous to let these kind of events continue. Well, um, and it's, it's I, happening faster than we can make sense of it is, yeah. is what really concerns me. Yeah, absolutely. And what I noticed in Canada is that people were, you know, there's more protests there that are regular and people support them and it's not a problem. And so initially it seemed like people were just like, let's support the truckers, you know, Mm. and then it starts to turn into this like, oh, they're honking all night and they're never leaving. And I was like, from the beginning, no, these are not your normal, Mm. nice protesters. You got to be tough 
you got to don't take the same approach with them that you do with others. That was my main mm-hmm. sort of hope with what the Canadian police would do with them. That's a good segue to the interview I did with Marcus Colger. So let me play that and we'll return on the other side of it. I'm so excited that Marcus Colger is with us tonight because he is probably Canada's leading expert when it comes to disinformation. He's the director at DisinfoWatch in Canada. And uh, Marcus is a good friend of mine and it's good to see you, Marcus. How are you? I'm, I'm well, worried about what's happening in Ottawa, and it's, but it's great to see you too. Yeah, it is incredibly worrying. I mean, I, I'm trying not to be alarmist, but in some cases it's, it's important to be alarmist. And in this case, I think it is. I view this as really as, as uh, Canada's January the 6th moment. I mean, it seems like a direct attack on democracy in Canada, and it needs to be taken very, very seriously, in my opinion. Now, you've seen this and spoken about this before. As recently as last year, you wrote a, an editorial about this. Right. I, I wrote an article uh, just after January 6th for the Toronto Star uh, warning Canadians that um, a January 6th type moment was imminent. It would happen here in Canada if we didn't uh, take measures to to avoid such a situation. And we've, you know, we've seen the warning signs ever since uh, 2016. But really, during COVID, the warning signs have been have become quite acute, uh, you know, in early in August 2020, we saw a lot of these uh, anti-vax protests, protests against lockdowns and such, popping up all over Europe. We saw Russian state media promoting all of these, and it was just after that time that we saw them sort of cropping up here and there across Canada. Various different movements, uh, anti-vax, anti-mask movements that were appearing, and you know, back then I was uh, analyzing all of these on a, on a daily basis. And while the the intentions may have seemed to be, you know, based on uh, personal freedoms and and such, the the real undercurrent in all of this was it was an anti-government sort of a a movement using the pretext of of COVID and vaccines and vaccine mandates. And I think that what we're seeing right now is a real explosion of this. So it's been a real low, you know, simmering process uh, over the past couple of years uh, that's brought us to this place. I mean, it's really interesting because it has been simmering. And despite the fact that it's been simmering, there have been people like you who've been calling it out for, for some years. And, you know, people think of Canada, certainly this audience is mostly American, but certainly the people think of Canada as being some sort of, I don't know, uh, nirvana of, of equitable, <laughs> peaceful, you know, people who agree with each other continuously. And of course, that's nothing could be from the truth in that. I mean, it's a vast country, firstly. It's a vast country with huge political differences throughout um, that are just as marked as the uh, blue state and red state divide in the United States. Well, look, w- generally, we do get along. Let's let's keep in <laughs> mind that well over 80% of Canadians, yeah. at least in the context of COVID, are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Canadians as a whole, we're all fed up and, and frustrated with all of the lockdowns and all of these mandates. Um, everyone is looking forward to that light at the end of the tunnel and getting out of this. But as a whole, I think the country supports those mandates. We understand why they're in place. And, um, you know, we want to protect each other. Mm-hmm. Is the country divided on this? I think there's a, a small, very vocal minority that is engaging in these protests. Um, you know, if you look at it as a total of the population, it's quite small. My understanding is that a lot of the protesters in Ottawa are not you know, from Ontario, they're not from the East Coast, but a lot of them are, the vast majority are from Canada's West. And, and we've had problems uh, with regards to national unity when it comes to Western Canada for some time. And, you know, that's not going away uh, at any point soon. Uh, much of Western Canada relies on natural resources, on gas and such. And of course, um, you know, globally, the, our economies are moving away from that sort of energy. So, you know, Western Canada has had a, quite a tough time over the past few years. To be honest, the federal government, and this one included, hasn't done a very good job of addressing Western grievances and making sure that, um, you know, they're included in, in the broader policymaking when it comes to Canada. So, so a lot of those grievances are genuine. I think that COVID has exacerbated them. And, uh, and what you're seeing right now partially is a result of that. Well, just to push back a little bit here, as much as, you know, there is a lot of agreement on vaccinations in Canada, 80%, as you point out, are vaccinated. This really isn't about vaccinations. This protest is about pushing back against democracy and uh, democratic institutions. And along the same lines of what we saw on January the 6th last year, it's pretty violent and it's pretty aggressive. And it's not your typical, 
you know, political discourse that you have in modern democratic countries. And that's what's really troubling is the means that they're protesting, not necessarily the fact that they're protesting, but the way they're doing it is aggressive and violent. And the, the horns themselves are just a violent intrusion into people's daily lives in a way that we've not really seen in Canada before, where traditionally public protests have been accepted and in fact honored by everybody. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is it's one thing if this protest would have lasted for two or three days, I think these protesters would have made their point. And then you move on. And that's it. Uh, the fact that we're on, I think, day 16. Now, mm-hmm. this is really disruptive to uh, Canada's democracy. It's unfortunately, unfortunate that the Ottawa police and the municipal government there don't have the resources to move these protesters out of the way, but they are slowing down that entire process. I'm, I'm, I'm going to push I'm back a- there too. I'm going to interrupt you. I know it's rude and not, not done in Canada, but let me interrupt you. <laughs> we have the resources, or Canada has the resources to get rid of these guys if they wanted to. It's not that hard. I mean, they could easily just go in there and get them out. Of, of course they can. Of course they can. There's a whole army you can push them back. Why, why? There is a lot of can be done to get yeah. rid of them. I think people are being respectful of their protest rights, but it's uh, it's ridiculous. It is day 16. Business is trying to get right. done. The government needs to get its business done. It's looking like the Canadian government is weak. The city of Ottawa seems like it's got no um, enforcement capability, which, of course, they all have this. It's a very strong, powerful country, part of the G8. We can remove a few uh, troubled truckers in the uh, in Ottawa. It's possible to do that. You're right. And, you know, we are moving. We are in day 16. Yeah. I think there is a large element of lawlessness now. Um, this sort of occupation, you know, whether we can look at other Canadian protests, whether it was the G7 protests or the the Vancouver o- Olympic riots, um, or the, sorry, the Stanley Cup riots that that happened a few years ago, you know, we have the ability to crack down, and I think most Canadians are, are quite uncomfortable, quite frankly, um, with this sort of a, a lawless uh, mm-hmm. protest and those elements within it. And you're right, I think the the Canadian government uh, and certainly the municipal government in Ottawa, the provincial government need to start taking action. This has gone on way too long. And you're seeing where earlier conservative uh, politicians, uh, a number of them certainly on the further to the right, uh, were standing uh, with these protesters, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of them now say this is you know, quite enough. And so you know, if, if I were one of these protesters or protest leaders, I would start looking at public opinion. I think they had it for a little while. Um, because they were also expressing the frustrations of a lot of Canadians who weren't going to go out and protest. But I think everyone's had enough. And the further along this goes, if these protests start spreading to cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, other large cities, the fact that they are holding up trade in the border crossing between Windsor and Detroit, um, this is, I think, the the largest trade um, channel between uh, Mm -hmm. between our two countries. Uh, Trade has come to a standstill there. Um, this is going to affect Canadians uh, when they go grocery shopping and when they go to the stores. It's going to become a huge problem. So uh, you're right. I mean, the Canadian government, we do have the resources. We could use the military. We could uh, borrow resources from other municipalities, but it's got to stop now. You know, the other thing is, of course, as uh, we found out in the United States on January the 6th, it's surprising how many uh, military and uh, leadership and uh, veterans and rank and file were involved in January the 6th. And there's certainly a lot of sympathy amongst that type of individual for the protests that happened on January the 6th. And it wouldn't surprise me if the same thing is true for uh, this trucker protest. And so sometimes, you know, it's not just uh, they're not acting. They may not be acting because they wanted to continue. We don't have a lot of time, but I do want to ask you, because tomorrow you're, you're testifying in front of the parliament about Russian disinformation. And of course, a big chunk of what we're seeing there in in the truck approach is the same thing that inspired the January the 6th uh, uprising here in the States. That was inspired, is pushed, is uh, amplified by Russian disinformation. And so there you are going to be testifying about something that I know you've spoken about there before, but maybe now they'll listen a little bit more. Well, I I hope so. Look, one of the points that I'll be making tomorrow is that, you know, Russian propagandists and the actors that engage in disinformation, they they have no ideology. Mm -hmm. They have no ideology of the left or the right. Uh, They only exploit division. They seek to polarize us. And so, you know, COVID the past two years has uh, given them ample opportunity to do that. And like I said, I mean, this has been a low simmering situation. Uh, It's been growing. I think that Russian state media has added fertilizer to this, has helped grow it. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, you know, with the analysis that we've been doing over the past few days of Russian state media, all of it is extremely positive 
towards the protesters. They are egging them on. They are legitimizing them. You have far-right elected officials. And I think this is the first time in Canada where an elected official has appeared on Russian state media television, an MPP, a provincial Ontario member of parliament named Randy Hillier, who's been at the head of a lot of anti-vaccination and anti-masking, anti-lockdown protests. Uh, He appeared on RT, uh, Russia Today, just a few days ago, and actually tweeted that uh, Canadians should shift their attention. When they get their news, they should look at Russian state media instead of Canadian media because Russian state media is telling the truth. And so when you have, you know, elected officials saying this sort of uh, nonsense, um, you're in real trouble. And so, you know, Canada, our society, our democracy, our government needs to be doing a heck of a lot more to raise awareness of that threat right here in Canada. You are so right, uh, Marcus. I wish we could have you for longer. Let's talk another day for at a longer time. Uh, good luck with your testimony tomorrow. Uh, we'll continue discussing this topic tonight, and you can watch the show when you get a chance a little later on. But thank you very much for being here tonight. Marcus Colger, the Director of Disinformation Watch in Canada. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, Zab. So that's uh, eerily familiar, what he's talking about, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly concerning listening to that. Uh, Dave, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think the fact that, uh, you know, we've got people like Hillier going on RT is incredibly damning in terms of understanding what this actually is. And, um, you know, Hillier, nobody's brought this up yet on this conversation, but there was a series of posts that Hillier made that suggested that uh, some of these trucks might be laden with uh, fertilizer and fuel. Uh, oh, wow. including, you know, uh, ammonium nitrate, because there were some gardening companies involved in this who would have the ability to purchase mm-hmm. large quantities of ammonium nitrate fertilizer uh, legally, which otherwise would be kind of a controlled substance. And if you mix that with diesel fuel, you know, you've got a Oklahoma City-style truck bomb. Uh, really dangerous. And, uh, yeah, and well, that appears to be present there. <laughs> you know. Another truck was openly talking about storing fuel and heaters together in the same thing for everybody and i'm like that's not a good idea and you think about the combination march in in dc that's terrifying when you think about that combination of elements well absolutely and and you've got all these trucks going around that can potentially be carrying large cargo so i mean my opinion is that for the dc thing they just need to basically cordon off the city and not Mm. allow anybody to go into it with a large vehicle and, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, the presence of mind will be there now to do that now that everybody has kind of warning of what's going to happen. I think the same thing needs to be done in Brussels. Hopefully they'll be able to prevent this situation that's now in Ottawa from forming in D.C. and Brussels or in other cities, too. But, uh, you know, I think it's incredibly dangerous. And I think that the timing of all th- there's another element of this I'll bring up briefly, which is that. Uh, Now, you know, I mentioned the debt ceiling thing back in December. The U.S. government is going to shut down on February 18th if a continuing resolution is not passed in the Senate in the next few days. It'll probably get passed in the Senate, and that will last us three weeks until March 11th. And then we, by March 11th, we have to pass another continuing resolution or a real budget that will actually sustain the government into 2022. Otherwise, the U.S. government's going to shut down. What does a U.S. government shut down during what could be an invasion of Ukraine on Monday, the 20th or the mm. 21st, look like? Like, that's insane. And, and it, you know, if anybody is and, coordinating yeah. with Putin yeah. on this to, like, cause this outcome, A, it's treason. But B, I mean, it could lead to a catastrophic outcome. So, I mean, mm. I don't understand why nobody's, like, figured out those dots and put all that together in the mainstream media. But we need to figure that out. It's well, that's really why important. you're here, Dave, because <laughs> that's you, figure, you figure these I'm things the out. That, you know. No, but it's really important. I mean, you know, these dots are connected, and it's insane to think that they're not. They're obviously connected. It's the same players. Yeah. The same people are doing this. They certainly have an eye on all of these things at the same time. And uh, the American public needs to have that. Now, you're not going to get the um, U.S. media connecting these dots. It's just against their instincts, I guess, or against their ownership's instincts. Um, so we know it's up to right. us on social media to be making these points, because otherwise, how else are people going to hear about them? Certainly, I hope the leadership of Biden administration is aware of these things. I mean, you'd hope they would be. But, uh, you know, if they're not, yeah. we're here to tell them. You know. So they go. One thing, the last thing, connection yeah. I haven't made is with Michael Flynn. Mm. You know, he's been pushing COVID disinformation really aggressively mm. for some time. 
And it makes you wonder, with especially with him talking about economic collapse coming and blah, 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 if this was a way to lead up to these trucker protests. Mm-hmm. Very, very possibly. And also, why is he still running around the country? Why is he still a free man? I still don't get that part. Um, because... You know, clearly he's broken the law several times mm-hmm. over. Um, that is all the time we have for tonight. But I, you know, I'd like to give you both an opportunity just to say anything you want to on this or any topic. Uh, promote whatever you'd like. So, uh, Karen, if there's anything else you'd like to share with our audience, mm, not really. Okay, well, tell everyone where they can find you then online. What's your uh, your Twitter handle and and anything else you may want to uh, share? Piper K. Piper on K. Twitter at yeah. Piper K. Great. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Karen. It's really great to have you on the show for the first time. What an incredible uh, contribution you've provided tonight. And Dave, anything else you want to share as we head out tonight? Uh, just, you know, keep an eye on this interface between the crypto and the trucking and all of it. I think it's all kind of interrelated and all starting to be one thing. There was a big fire at a uh, money printing facility in Clermont-Ferrand, France today. Uh, ah. That is sort of interesting. Uh, there was the gold box in Central Park last week. There's some monkey business going on with fiat versus gold, and I think that's a theme people should look for. If folks want to stay up to date on what I'm working on, please check out my uh, uh, Medium newsletter. I do a weekly newsletter called Situation Report, which you can subscribe to at davetroy.medium.com. And I'm also at Dave Troy on Twitter. And everyone really should follow uh, Dave's feed and uh, subscribe to his Medium. It's really important stuff that Dave does and really helps piece all these important thoughts together. So that's it for the show tonight. I thank you all for being here tonight and we'll be back on Friday with the after show. Until then, have a good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.